Now we'll give it up for Ruth. Plus, you may not have been aware of this, but because this goes out over the internet, this was your first international performance. Right here from Celebration Hardaway. And I say that and it's true, but I know that what that means practically is this afternoon, our time, there'll be a group of folks on the islands of Hawaii who gather in, uh, Glenn is the uh, Janet Glassford's husband. They'll gather in Glenn's house, several families, and be a part of this service. So sometime this afternoon, they'll go, oh, she's great. So we affirm and thank you. I'm very thankful for this expression of the ministry of the body of Christ. It's not just about someone like me or someone with the skills of Jane. It's about our life together and what that brings. So I'm very thankful for that. Our call to worship this morning is a responsive reading that picks up on this well. God is doing a new thing. It's Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at verse 18. Let's read responsively. I'll start. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. The people I formed myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Let us proclaim the praise of which God is worthy and due. Hymn number 553, How Great Thou Art. Will you stand as you're able?
Amen and amen. How marvelous. The greatness of our God. It's good to sing it. It's always a joy to welcome uh, all of you to worship the living God. We've gathered today, uh, some on site as we're here on a beautiful Holland, West Michigan day, but also those of you online, we mentioned Glenn, but also in Honduras all around, we're able to take what God is doing in this moment and kind of share it uh, across the internet. I'm very thankful for that and all that it means. Um, I personally am returning from most of the week away at the General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, the denomination with which uh, I'm affiliated. And rather than take the next three hours and tell you how amazing and wonderful and refreshing and powerful it was, I'll just put it on the blog. There really were some great times. It was a great time away, um, but we'll need to press on. A couple of announcements. First of all, there's a bulletin change. You'll see a women's ministry uh, item mentioned, an event. We're going to have to reschedule that to August because of sickness. Uh, this morning in our service, we'll also be celebrating a profession of faith that will follow with a fellowship time, and I understand that by 11 o'clock we will have established this as a firm, unchangeable Dutch tradition. We'll have ice cream. Uh, so because of that, we'll share together, celebrate with um, Ashley, Ashlyn and Shelby, and we will then celebrate that with ice cream. Because of that, there'll be no post-service follow-up. I'm always happy to do a kind of question and answer time where we um, interact that way on a more personal one-to-one -one level. Slides, you see next week, if you come here for worship at nine o'clock, I would say worship God, but you may well be alone because all three of our services will be meeting together at 10 o'clock outside. Um, so be a part of that. It's gonna be something a little new and different that we're gonna try for the holiday. Let's see how that goes. Also, we're beginning to prepare for our summer service week, and there's a number of things you'll see in emails and bulletin that you can be involved even if you can't run around with middle schoolers and high schoolers like me. You can be a part of helping make provision, supporting them with prayer, preparing meals, any number of good things to exercise. Uh, your gifts and calling. So marvelous things ahead. The way to connect, if you'd like to receive our weekly Thursday night email, uh, just type the word connect, text it to that number, and you'll get a form that'll let you make that known to me, and I'll do the best I can to follow up. Now, uh, I'll say just one quick word. We are in a transition moment with leadership. I was hoping to see Laurie Bauman who since 2007 has been involved in children's ministry here at Heart of Wyke. And she's had a change of profession and orientation, some things that'll happen uh, later this summer. She's gonna move into uh, a vocational rehabilitation counselor, finishing up earlier than expected her master's degree in clinical counseling. So I wanna say, I was hoping she would be here so we could say together, thanks to her and blessings in where she will go. One of the things, I planted a, a church, was part of a church plant outside of Washington, D.C., and had a lot of Marines in that congregation. And the Marines would always say, we only send our best. And so my prayers, as Laurie heads off uh, to this new position, we're sending our best, and we send her with great thanks. Um, at this point, I'd like us to sing my Jesus, I love thee. It's hymn number 366, verses 1 and 2. Stand as you're able.
Amen. And have a seat if you would. Our vision statement that kind of encapsulates and helps direct all three worshiping communities here at Heart of Wyke goes like this. We're called to invite everyone to join the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus Christ. Found in, formed by, and following. It's a journey that begins and it will end one day in the presence of Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. But along the way, there's steps in this journey. God's invitation and promises become kind of markers along that journey. He makes a promise to parents. I love the passage in Genesis 17, 7. God, in establishing that first covenant with Abraham, says, I will be your God, Abraham, and your children's God. I remember one day sensing that the, what that scripture tells me is that the Lord will not be my children's tradition. He will not be my children's idea. But he himself has said, I will be, that's why it's a promise, their God. That's good news. The sign of that promise in the Old Testament was circumcision. But in the New Testament, it's been extended in Christ to all. For as Paul wrote, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. And so the sign of the covenant of New Testament faith is covenant baptism. It's on that biblical foundation that Paul would say to the Gentile jailer in Philippi, it's in Acts 16.3, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household will come to a personal faith. Paul would later write in Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, a personal confession, a heartfelt con conviction, you will be saved, he says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. At this point, I'd like Shelby and Ashlyn to come forward and to join me here at the front. I'm going to kind of put you all here so we can keep things focused on the pulpit, and I'll have some questions for you. I've had an opportunity to meet one-on-one -on -one with these two young women and to kind of share and talk. It's, it's not, why don't you come over a little closer so you see you need to be inside that blue tape. Nobody ever sees the blue tape. There we go. I want to make sure your international video debut is available. <laughs> Intimidated yet? <laughs> we enjoyed our time together. I'm thankful as a pastor to have a time to get to know them better so that as I pray for them each week, I now have a deeper connection. I'm thankful for that. We talked about these questions and what it means for you having been baptized as a covenant family. Now you're taking these covenant vows for yourself. I love the expression of passing the baton. Your mom, your dad, your aunts, uncles, grandparents, the whole Dutch array that have walked in faith and carried you along on the journey, you're now taking the baton and saying, that's mine. So here are the questions. 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to redeem the world? Do you love and trust him as the one who saves you from your sin? And do you, with repentance and joy, embrace him as Lord of your life? I'll go through all of them, and then we'll answer them together at the end, just like we planned. Second question. Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that it's revealing Christ and his redemption, and that the confessions of this church faithfully reflect this revelation? Question number three, do you individually accept the gracious promises of God sealed to you in your baptism, and do you now affirm your union with Christ and his church, which your baptism signified? Finally, question four, do you promise to do all you can with the help of the Holy Spirit to strengthen your love and commitment to Christ by sharing faithfully in the life of the church honoring and submitting to its authority, and do you join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere? How do you answer these? I do God helping. This is the work of God in a great promise. Paul writes in Philippians, therefore continue to work out your salvation, continue to live out day by day that journey but it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Next will be a question to the congregation. I would speak this to the people of celebration representing all of Hardawike Ministries. This is something bigger than just us and indeed the universal body of Christ. Do you promise to love and support and to walk with Shelby and Ashland with your prayers, encouragement, and example? By God's help, we do. I'm going to ask if you would kind of extend your arm that, as a laying on of hands, and I'll pray for them both. We extend and we'll just pray a blessing. Father, I thank you for your great love for these two young women that long before they were even born. You had purpose for their life and love. Thank you for the redemption. That means they're more than just creatures of the creator born in your image, but now deeply loved, fully adopted children of the great creator king. I pray this moment would be a, a, a marker in their journey and that you would continue to grow within them and to bear the fruit of your Holy Spirit gifting and empowering them to enter into more than they could ever ask or imagine. Thank you for your goodness in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And I'm going to ask, as y'all can head back, but I'll ask the congregation to stand and let us confess our faith, just exactly what it is that we mean when we pray. And I'll have the words of the Apostles' Creed uh, on the screen here. Church of Jesus, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born in the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the true Christian church of all times and places, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen and amen. Have a seat if you would please. Shelby and Ashlyn and the young family and family of family, we celebrate this step in their lives and thankful to be a part of it. Well, I want to turn to a moment of prayer. It's been a really busy week here at Heart Awake. Uh, the Great Escape Day Camp is underway. We want to be praying about that. Uh, return of our Appalachian Trail group. We have a student ministry group out to Colorado for retreat and a student mission team that's uh, headed off to Roseland Church for ministry in the Chicago area. And as you well know, it's been a busy week in the news. Two significant Supreme Court decisions, firearm legislation from Congress, upcoming Michigan elections. There is so much to pray about. More to pray about than I will, but I want to remind you again that I pray daily, not only for you, but for all of these things. You know, it's important to me as your pastor to be help you be thinking and reflecting on the events and what does it mean to live in this rapidly changing, confusing, often challenging world. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I don't think that's the role of a pastor, but I do believe that I serve you well by helping you be thinking and to think deeply in light of the gospel, to bring that to your place of prayer, to your study, to your consideration. So what I've decided to do this morning is pray for Heart Awake, pray for several of our regular things, but then I'm going to close with a prayer by Scotty Smith. Um, I regularly point to Scotty Smith and a daily email he sends out with prayers, a prayer blog. No other person has helped me learn to pray in light of the gospel better than Scotty. Hardly a week goes by that I don't have one or two or three people who've heard me refer to him and then get his email. And I'll get an email from somebody who says, how did he know? He gave me words to pray for that thing. People find their voice in prayer through him. And so he's helped me find my voice in prayer this week, and I'm going to lead us in that way. All in the same place. Let's turn to the Lord and pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your great work and for your kingdom which is coming, that even now as it dawns in our hearts and then through our life together into our community, we pray for the kingdom of your glory and grace. Help us to hear in this scripture this morning in the sermon the fullness and the beauty of what that is. In this moment, we pray for Heart Awake, for the missions and the ministries that are going on. I named several of them. Uh, we pray for Watershed, which will be preaching, uh, short, uh, preaching and worshiping shortly. Be with Pastor Aaron as he brings the word to that part of our ministry. We pray for Fusion and Pastor JB for all that they will do as they gather. And for Pastor Florencio, Mission, that will be meeting right where I stand in a few hours and making the gospel of Jesus known. Be with all these expressions of your work and ministry and community. Glorify your name. Father, you've called us particularly as a, a body celebration and we celebrate life together. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those rejoicing. 
Today we do indeed rejoice to see two young women step forward with profession of faith, taking their part in the journey. But there are those among us, Father, who struggle even now with sickness. So we want to take a moment, as I've done these past weeks, I'm going to ask you to pray for those in your circle of relationships, lift them by uh, name to the Lord, those who are sick, whether diagnosis, treatment, or recovery. Father, hear the prayers of your people in the silent sanctuary of our hearts. And Father, I want to continue praying as I do each day, each week, for those in our circle who grieve. Uh, Be with them in this long-term journey, finding new hope, new comfort, new restoration each day, for you have new morning mercies each day we rise. Pray for those in your circle of relationships who are grieving. Father, your word teaches us to pray for those in authority over us that there might be shalom, wholeness, peace within the land. We thank you for the blessing of just government for all citizens. And so we pray for that, that the gospel might go forward in a friendly and secure setting. We pray this week in our rotation for local government and agencies, for Holland City and Park and Holland Townships, Ottawa County, We pray for commissions and committees. We pray for offices that uh, execute the laws and things. We pray for the school boards, both public and private. We pray for charter schools, for home schools. We pray for a, a flourishing of shalom in our local area. We pray too, Father, for missionaries and know that your gospel is good news and it goes out to all people. Thank you for those who go out from Hardawike to what are now called creative access places where missionaries are not accepted but where support and help is and these become bridges for the good news. Father, teach us to pray and help us to learn. Shape us. I thank you for the role that Scotty Smith has played in my life for learning to pray in the midst of everyday life. So with him, I'm drawn to the text in Micah 6, 8. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And as well in Isaiah 1, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. So with Scotty, Heavenly Father, we have so many intense feelings coursing through our heart and and bones this morning. Certainly, I personally feel deep gratitude in the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Your in-the-womb image bearers, fully human and very much real children, are the greatest benefactors of the Supreme Court's decision. But I also feel tremendous sadness about the intense divide in our country. So many of us see this and other issues so differently. That's nothing new, but it's just gotten much more obvious, ugly, and threatening. Have mercy, O Lord. Have mercy on us. What I don't feel is a spirit of gloating as though my favorite basketball team just won the championship. 
Abortion and the complex issues surrounding it has never been a game to win or lose. It's people to love and care for. Father, have mercy on us. I do feel a sober, realistic, and, and hopeful about the huge gospel work in front of us. We who have prayed, worked, and sacrificed have way more praying in the Spirit to do now, way more labors of love, and way more sacrificial generosity knocking at our front doors. Help us answer the call faithfully in humble service to your glory. Help us to love both the unborn and those who carry them, to carry for both the newly born and those who raise them. Indeed, through all the stages and circumstances of life, may we be guided and led in our actions and in our words by your word, both the written word and passages like Micah and Isaiah, as well as the incarnate, the Lord Jesus who was born into our world through a young woman, not yet married. Father, we see that now is not the time to buy buy a bag of popcorn, sit down, and watch for the next Supreme Court decision. It's time for faith expressing itself in love and grace being revealed through servanthood. The call to a lifestyle of doing good, seeking just, justice, correcting injustice, and loving mercy and walking humbly with you just got ramped up in a big, big way. By your grace, help us live into that challenge to your glory and to the benefit of our community. Father, help us to be a people of prayer who know not only pour out our hearts, but seek you in what we pray and seek. Guide our prayer with the words that Jesus taught his disciples and hear us as together we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Uh, we're preaching through the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is a different kind of literature. It's a collection of pithy statements often, and so you hit these little pieces, and rather than exposit verse by verse, typically, the best way to read Proverbs is with these themes, and a great uh, help for that is the daily devotional Navigating Life with God's Wisdom by Tim and Kathy Keller, and we're referring to that along the way. Um, it's these threads and these themes, often in several uh, chapters along the way, that are really key to understanding Proverbs. Um, today, I will be reading from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and then the last two verses, 27 and 28. Um, even as we adjust ourselves for the way God spoke in this book, um, let us set our hearts to receive. Hear the word of God. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments, where? In your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Instead, fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And later in Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. And when it is in your power to act, do not say to your neighbor, oh, come back tomorrow and I'll, I'll give it to you then. Don't do that when you already have it with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is power and truth. Thank you that as you spoke uh, guidelines for living to Solomon, to the others who are contributors to this, as you gathered on the anointing of your Holy Spirit this wisdom, so you have preserved it across centuries that now by your grace we might open the scroll as it were and ask you Holy Spirit to finish the task now illuminate to our hearts and minds that we might see not simply ink on page but that we might hear your voice this is the way walk in it speak to our hearts shape our minds that our lives might bear the fruit of your grace you've loved us and because you've loved us first, you're empowering us to love others. Thank you that there are people right now who are far from you, outside of this church, would call themselves enemies of God. But because of what you will do with your word right here in us, you will empower us to love them in glorious, humble ways. Shape us, illumine your word to our hearts, Father, we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people sit together. Amen and amen. Proverbs is not a collection of propositions that if you do this, then that will happen. And we've looked at that through the course of this series, that there are times that it, uh, it'll actually put two opposing things right together. Do not answer a fool, do answer a fool in chapter 26. And those become guidelines, rail posts, if you will, and you need the voice of the Holy Spirit to kind of understand where am I going? We've all seen that, that's the way Proverbs work. He who hesitates is lost, haste makes waste. It's in the applying of those two, not of playing them against each other. Last week, we picked up with a key statement that I think is important to understanding Proverbs. It's the way they work. We are called to actively pursue. So there's something for each of us to do, and I'll get to that today. But what we are actively pursuing, what we are sacrificing for, what we're investing time in is something that can only be received. Which is it, Pastor Bill? Be straight with me. Friends, you need to actively pursue it. And when you actively pursue it, by God's grace, you will receive what can only be given by God. Now, that's often called a paradox, and we looked at that a lot last week, 
last week, but I, I want to touch it because it's so important. It's the genius of the both and. It's both pursue and receive. It's not either or. Well, you either work real hard or you just receive. No, it's both. It's both. I spend time in the Word of God daily, meditate, dwell, let it shape my life. I'm actively pursuing. And when I do that, I receive more than just propositions on what to do. Jesus himself said, my sheep know my voice. And so I'm listening for the voice of my good shepherd and how to live day by day. And that's a paradox. I talked about how it's not a, a balanced in the middle, a little of this. It's both poles maximized. Actively pursue with everything you've got. Receive. That's the only way to have it. It's both and not either or. And as I told Shelby and Ashland, so I would remind each of us, this runs through the entire scripture. Paul will write in Philippians, therefore, and it's good to see what therefore is there for, ahead of this, he lays out the gospel of God's grace. And he says, because the gospel is grace first to last, we are then to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let it bear fruit, let it grow, let it get deeply rooted. Why? Because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This morning, I want to touch from this passage in Proverbs three key things that you'll want to actively pursue if you want to receive God's wisdom. Three areas of life where you want to invest time, thought, consideration, energy. Because if you actively pursue that, you will begin to discover God's wisdom. He will give it to you. It's an amazing thing. Actively pursue what can only be received. The first one is this, be generous. And we read it right here in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now again, these are principles, not direct promises. People have given to God their first fruits, but if the land is under judgment, there can still be a famine. But this is the way God's blessings and curses, the consequences of our decisions generally work out. As we honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of all our crops, then God looks over and will provide for us that through us, he might provide for others. So be generous. Look for ways to invest in other people. You know, when we first got the news that we were going to have to not meet on Sundays with COVID, you remember all that way back there? I remember thinking, oh boy, unemployed again. You see, I'd been an executive pastor of a church that had had to not meet for two Sundays. And after those two Sundays, we had a hard time making payroll the rest of the year. And I was responsible for that after a fashion. But I'm thankful beyond words that the people of Hard Work Bike have said, no, we're part of this. We're in this together. God will provide. We will be part of this. We continue to move forward in ministry. I'm thankful beyond words for that. And in that way, you have honored the Lord with the first fruits because we didn't know what the economy would be. 
And now God continues to meet needs, even in the midst of a challenging situation. But I want to read to you from uh, Tim and Kathy Keller's devotional. I'll put up the January 25. This is the day. I want to encourage you to get that and read it daily for the next, I'm only going to do it for the next five years, I think, in my own life. It's that important to get God's wisdom. They write, inordinate love of money and confidence in its power blind us. And the best way to break money's power over us is through giving lots of it away. The first fruits of a crop were to be given to God and the poor, because that's how the scripture guides us in giving, to God and his work, to the poor and their need. Even though it wasn't certain how big the harvest would actually be, you don't, the first fruits are from the beginning. They're a projection in hope of what will come. Honor the Lord with those, and God will continue to look over. See, we often think of generosity connected with our finances, especially our cash assets. And this passage certainly speaks to that, but scripture in the matter of generosity, as I've listed here, that has far more to do, and it applies to much more than just our cash. Let's fast forward from Proverbs through the centuries to the book of Acts and a great story of generosity. It's in um, Acts chapter 9, begins with verse 36. It's the story of uh, Dorcas who was named Tabitha. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About, the time, about that time, she became sick and died. You see, if you thought being good was going to be your ticket to what you wanted, long life and these things, here's a woman who is faithful, and yet she too faced death. Peter went with them when they heard of her death, and when he arrived, he was taken to the upstairs room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. The story goes on, and essentially Paul prays for her. She's resuscitated back to life. She's raised from the dead, and God is glorified. But Dorcas was generous with what she had, not with what she didn't have. She didn't have a lot of money. She was like the widow in in Luke 21 with that small gift. It's not the size of the cash gift, but the source, the heart from which it comes. Generosity is an expression of a gospel-transformed heart. If you're stingy, I'm not going to shame you or guilt you. I'm going to point you to the cross where you will see the generosity of God poured out on people who don't deserve it, like me. Finances are a part of that, but a generous heart will give what it has, not what it doesn't. Consider being generous with regard to your gifting. That's what Tabitha was. She, I would say, had a a passion, a motivation for the poor, for the widow that Proverbs speaks of clearly. She had a spiritual gift of service. She could make clothes. And she was generous with her motivation and with her spiritual gift. And God did mighty things. Do you have a place where your spiritual gift is at work for the kingdom of God? Can you identify your spiritual gift? I've preached to this. I'm continuing to be anxious to do this. It would break my heart to think people could go to a church year upon year and not be able to identify what's the gift that God has given me. 
his special empowerment to glorify him and to serve others. What's the gift? Where's God at work in your life? How would you be generous with that? Boy, that would be an adventure to pursue. Don't receive that as guilt or shame. Here it is, Pastor Bill saying, whoa, God could use me. He used Dorcas. He's used all sorts of people, and that's why he's gifted you. Be generous with that. Another important thing that we see in this passage is learn from adversity, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father disciplines the son he delights in. See, so often I experience adversity or tribulation or difficulty. I've had that in my life. You've, many of you know my story enough to know that I've had some difficult, dark times. But when I began to see those dark times as, what have I done wrong? Why is God angry at me? I would go down one path, but when I began to ask, goodness, Lord, where are you at work in this? I began to see something different. Accept the adversity with God's presence and ask, where are you at work? What is it that you're doing? Maybe I do need to repent. I've had some idols of my heart crushed. It was painful. It was a mess. But I've also had some times where God said, you'll be unable to provide, so watch me provide for you. I've shared often about the time where I went to a meeting to talk about our rapidly growing church. We'd gone from eight, 18 to 50 people in a year, and they closed the church. How do you get a successful, performance-oriented, workaholic German to face his issues? You take away his job. And in the midst of that pain, and it was turmoil, God began to show me, you can trust me in a new and different way. I had to see adversity differently. Friends, we live in a broken world, experiences and circumstances that are unfair, that are unexpected, that are unpleasant, they will happen. It's a sad reality. We need to prepare for them and gather the resources to face them. Otherwise, we may face those circumstances when they arrive and be drowned in despair. The gospel gives us a hope of a new reality greater than the present adversity. In fact, we have a hope that even in the face of the evil of others, stop and think about that. Even when others intend it for evil, the God of the Bible can work that to his glory and to my benefit. You know, Genesis 50, 20, the, the story of Joseph, his brothers would sell him into slavery, bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And rather than pick up the anger and of revenge, Joseph would say to his brothers later, though you meant it for evil, because they did, God worked it for good so that many would be saved. Friends, calibrate your heart to find where and how God is at work, even in painful adversity. It may be a cancer diagnosis or a child whose life has run off the rails. It may be rejection from a loved one. But God's grace can help you face that in a very different way. Christian faith is not about getting what you want in life from God. It's about trusting God and meeting him in whatever the circumstances that life on a broken planet with broken people brings you into. Listen to what um, the Kellers right here. The mark of wisdom is being ready for suffering. Oh, uh, uh, Pastor Bill, I, I was more interested in having my best life now. Could we? 
This is the gospel, friends. The mark of God's wisdom is to be ready for suffering. If you aren't, then you are not competent with regard to the realities of life. If you're not preparing to deal with suffering of some sort, you're not prepared for the life that we'll all be living on a broken planet. Suffering is also a discipline for growth and wisdom. It can drive you toward God into greater love and strengthen and strength, or it can drive you away from him into hardness of heart. Adversity. Jesus actually said we would have it. What he also said that's more than marvelous is this, I will be with you. Third thing I want to touch, and we could spend several weeks on this, is the whole uh, truth of justice. The scripture says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. And do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow. (laughs) I'll give it to you then when you already have it. Study the scripture and indeed look at Proverbs and you'll see that the idea of justice, the call to justice is threaded throughout Proverbs. We'll come across it over and over and over. So much so that I would say justice is not an option for believers. Some churches seem interested and involved, others not. That's not the option because justice is at the core of the gospel. It's because God himself, the God who is love, is also just. Without justice, you don't have the gospel. Because God is just, he cannot ignore our sin. I said cannot without violating justice. You see, when we sin, there is a price to be paid. The gospel is this, that God himself would pay that price, not extract it from us. He is just, Paul writes in Romans 3.26, and he is the one who justifies through faith in Christ. Injustice, wherever we see it, is the result of the fall. God created a world in, when, in which justice would reign perfectly. Now let me read this Proverbs passage again. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Are you familiar with the Burwood Wall? in Detroit. In 1941, a real estate developer in Northwest Detroit faced a dilemma. He needed federal financing for his white clients who were purchasing lots in a new subdivision abutting a community of mostly African Americans. When the banks deemed the development too risky because of potential racial tension, the developer proposed a novel solution. He built a six-foot-tall, one-foot-thick concrete barrier. It begins at the boundary of Van Antwerp Park, and it extends north for three blocks, about a half a mile, to Eight Mile Road, and it changed life in West Mile forever. On one side, property sold to white families. On the other, only to black families. On one side, VA loans were available to returning veterans from World War II. On the other side, veterans returning from the same war could not get loans guaranteed by the federal government, including that same Veterans Administration. This is one of many examples of the practice called redlining that happened all across the United States. I want to tell you something, because of who God is, he's concerned about that and will not look past. Injustice in the land, 
that affects the land. We ought to be concerned with that same thing. Now, there's so much we could say. I hear a lot of talk about justice in our time. You've heard the theme, no justice, no peace. I kind of get that because where there is no justice, there'll be no wholeness or healing. But why is it when I often hear that, what I hear, the nonverbals are speaking of justice as if it were revenge. Do what I want or I burn the place down. You see, the standard of justice is not me or you, it is God. It is care for the poor. It is the king under the rule of law. I'll read some of these passages in a moment. The Lord is the standard of justice. Wish I had time for a whole sermon on that. People and governments and nations are accountable to him for maintaining justice. Not just the people of the land, to him. God is in on this. Listen to Proverbs 29.7. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. I've heard lately conversation from folks who will say that the word righteousness in Greek in the New Testament really ought to be justice. And so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. I want to tell you in the Bible, righteousness and justice kiss. In Jesus, it's a both and. The scripture says in Amos 5.24, I love this passage. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness righteousness like a never failing stream. You can't have one without the other. And where you have one, it'll start bearing fruit in the other. It's another both and. Justice, God's justice, shapes a people and the people shape a community, but it's God's standard. God has a standard of justice for government, listen to Proverbs 29.4. By justice, a king gives a country stability, but those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. Proverbs 31.9, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. You see, when wealthy people with expensive lawyers get a different kind of outcome from the law than poor people with poor lawyers, God is concerned. Justice in commerce, Proverbs 18.5, it is not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. Proverbs 19.17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. When was the last time you meditated on that? Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. How many of you would love to lend to the Lord? Think he's a good risk? Will you drive by that person panhandling at the stoplight a little differently? Now again, I understand there are challenges with enabling and all those sorts of things, but we've got to start from the scripture that says lending to the poor is like, giving the, being kind to the poor is like lending to the Lord, maybe I just need to have a schedule with more time and instead say, I'll meet you at that restaurant and give you a meal. I don't know what it looks like, but look at how different God's perspective is. Proverbs speaks to social inequality. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Whoa. 
I honor God by being kind to the needy? What would that look like? That's a policy question that'll take a lot of prayer and discussion and consideration. But we see where God is moving his kingdom. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. In Proverbs 19:17 again, he'll reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 18:5, it is not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. The Kellers write, and they quote a guy named John Calvin. The Kellers write in their devotional, John Calvin wrote, we're not to consider what a person deserves of themselves, but to look upon them in light of the image of God, to which the image of God we owe all honor and love. You will say, he has deserved something far different of me. Yet, says John Calvin, what has the Lord deserved? That is the question. Verse 28 goes even further and tells us not to delay doing good. So you see, friends, to invest in injustice is to be foolish. Godly justice brings blessing to the land and to the community. Working that out is a challenge because we read these in light of what I call gospel eyes. God's original creation intention is that humans would relate to each other with perfect justice, with kindness, with love, with support for the broken. But because of the fall, our best intentions are touched by our own brokenness. And so it is that our justice as humans is always imperfect. We need to pursue improving, but it's always imperfect. Our hearts get hard. We get tired of those people, whatever it may be. But that injustice is an expression of the fall. And we are thankful that Jesus, who gave his life, has redeemed us from that and called us to more. That the people of God would be a gathering across, not simply ethnic lines, but across socioeconomic lines. Imagine that where the wealthy and the poor share life in Christ, where we're investing in a community to see the gospel of God go out in life-changing ways. It changes us. You've heard the stories of Mary Lynn and I as we've moved into the inner city in New Orleans. We began to see God and his work in a fresh new way. We had neighbors who were very different than we'd ever had before. And we began to see the face of God in bigger, more wonderful ways. We began to move from life simply in the creation to touching the taste of the new creation that God is coming. There is a great hope and it's bound not with the justice of the world, but with the justice of a great just king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We ask in Jesus' name, that you would teach us wisdom, help us to pursue you. What does it mean in our place for us to be generous? What does it mean for us to face adversity differently? And in a world that's angry and vengeful, what would it mean to live as children of the light of a God of justice? Father, guard us from simple, simplistic, reductionist answers. But in the fullness of your grace, guide us. Help us to know and understand and take steps towards the establishment of things that express your good and perfect coming kingdom.
Be with us, Father, we pray, and fill us with great hope in all things. We make our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus, and all God's people sit together. Amen. Amen. Hymn number 352 is, O Jesus, I have promised. Uh, Let us come before the Lord and give him praise. receive the blessing of God. These are Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica that God had used him to plant, and he blessed them in this way. He said, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. Amen and amen.